It's my pleasure to introduce our, our guest preacher this morning, and I'm just going to read a little, a little bio about him here for uh, a moment. So today we have a guest preacher who will be bringing the Word of God. Uh, Jonathan Yap is a theological student sent by First Evangelical Reformed Church in Singapore. Uh, he is married to Samantha, and they have two daughters. Uh, he is almost finished with his training at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids and will return to Singapore next month to serve his home church where he hopes to be ordained in the future. But first, he will be preaching uh, from Psalm 77 this morning for us today. Welcome, Jonathan. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be here again. Last time I came was in September before winter. And I enjoyed my time then, and I enjoyed my time now. And um, I come with you with a sermon, knowing that I won't probably see you guys again. But we are all family in Christ, so I really want to leave you with something that may help you right now, depending on the situation, but leave you with something that you remember for the rest of your life, both whether you're young or whether you're old. And that's something very practical that I want you to leave you with how do we suffer well how do we go through trials well we know that we are even though at you know, christians we do suffer in this world from the hand of god through trials that he sends for our sanctification so how do we suffer well does suffering mean that my relationship with god suffers also it does not have to be that way it does not have to be that way so let us read our passage this morning some 77, the whole of this psalm, Psalm 77. Reading the whole of this psalm from verse 1. Psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I mourn. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spend forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made your, known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeem your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of the thunder was in a whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. 
yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this beautiful morning and we come after six days of labor and being in the world, we come here so that we might be refreshed by your words and through your spirit. Help us to hear this message, O Lord, this beautiful psalm for ourselves to know that indeed you are our God. And indeed, we know that we struggle like the psalmist here, but we pray you might uplift us, uplift us in our weaknesses to question you. Help us now, the speaker and the listeners, as we come to see your word. And through this word, we pray we might come forth to worship you evermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This psalm is beautiful. It's not the most well-known psalm, um, but it's beautiful. It's so special for me, and I pray it is indeed for all of us also. This psalm shows the spiritual battle we face when we encounter suffering. And as you read this psalm, did Asa's feelings echo your own? Is there some resonance here? You find. Have you experienced this seasons of questioning before? As what we see in verse 7 to 9. Now this psalm is the psalm that we should hold on to for those dark and ugly days that we have because of troubles. Times where we do not even want to get out of bed. Times where we do not even want to talk to people. Times of sickness, sadness, anxiety. The days where what we are looking at is simply the wall looking back at us. Days of struggle. Days where the glories of the Christian life seem so far from us. The Christian life seems so alien to us. Now, suffering brings spiritual battles. Why? Because suffering tempts us to doubt God's goodness to us. Suffering makes us doubt who God is. In suffering, we face a battle to confess, though I am suffering, God is good. That's a battle. It's a battle to confess the great God in our sufferings. No one says it's easy. Look at Psalm 77. No one says it's easy. Suffering makes us question many things, including the unchangeable God. We lose a sense of who God is, just like what we see in this psalm. A battle rages between what we feel and who God is, the truth of God. And so that's why I titled this sermon, Facts versus Feelings. There is a danger because our feelings try to create facts. And we tend to believe the facts that our feelings create. You know, I feel broken inside and that means that God has abandoned me. Mm. And not to say feelings are wrong. We bring our feelings to worship God, but feelings must be below who God is, the concrete truth of who God is. Our feelings must serve the facts of who God is. No, we often use the term processing the situation. And it's this processing that we let feelings become the truth. And so the battle between our facts and feelings is the theme for this sermon. Now, just some context about this psalm. Asaph, the psalmist, wrote this psalm. Day of trouble, verse 2. What was the trouble that Asaph was facing? Most likely, he was talking about the troubles that Israel was facing. Israel was facing. So it was not just simply personal troubles. But let's 
pause for a moment to see how, how beautiful it is that Asaph sees the troubles of Israel, the people of God. He sees those troubles as his own troubles. And we should see the troubles of the church as our own personal problems so that we bring the troubles of the church to God in prayer. So we do not know much about the historical context, but the lack of information helps us to see how this psalm is very applicable to every one of us today. Because underneath all this is a struggle that we all have when we feel lost and we feel that God is not there. What do we do? Well, you must see first that this psalm, Asaph knows that God is there. Asaph is praying to God. But as we go along this psalm, it seems that acknowledging God in suffering is painful. Because along with our suffering, we have the question, why does God seem so far from me? So we come to our first point, the first few verses. And we're going to look through this psalm in verses in order because we want to follow Asaph in this journey to see what we can learn from God's word. First, in verse 1, Asaph states his view on prayer. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God and He will heal me. This is his confession on what prayer is. This is what prayer is to Asaph and should be to all of us. Right? This is what we confess about prayer. God hears the cries of His people. Remember the, the book of Exodus, it started with know the, the cries of Israel to God while they were in Egypt, right? And God heard them. See it clearly. In verse 2, we find the setting. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. Now let us pause at this verse. In the day of trouble, Asaph sought the Lord. In our day of trouble, it's our first instinct to seek the Lord. Answer it for yourself. It's your natural reaction your instinct in your day of trouble to seek the Lord. You know, when we, today, today we have so much access to people and information, when we have troubles, we are tempted to first Google our problem, go through social media, Reddit, Facebook groups, and we want to connect with someone who has said something online so that we can anchor ourselves to what that person says. Hopefully that person has solved his problem, so we want to see how he solved that problem. And we do that because we want to settle our hearts, because of our anxiety. And that's good. By all means, find information for your problem. What, what I'm saying is that we must first seek the Lord in our day of trouble. As the commentator Matthew Henry says, days of trouble must be days of prayer. Equal. Days of trouble equals days of prayer. There's this line, right? Trouble equals prayer. We must pray. And practically, when you have troubles, you will be distracted, right? So prayers must come first before all the distractions, before all the noise comes in. The quiet moment. Stop, deep breath, commit yourself to the Lord. Troubles to the Lord. Asaph 6, the Lord, verse 2. And wow, he seeks the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without worrying. Right, in the night. Nighttime is, nighttime is the time where we are filled with, the, with so many thoughts. Anxiety comes at night. When everything is quiet, that's when anxiety hits, doesn't it? Troubles feel magnified. 
And again, Asaph gives us something to think about. Those anxious nights, will you give yourself to God in prayer? How do you spend your anxious nights? Through entertainment as a distraction? Spend those nights with God. And so, so far we learned that Asaph was being faithful. He is doing what is right, seeking God. But the, the tension in this psalm is at the end of verse 2. My soul refuses to be comforted. He prays, he prays. But there's no comfort yet. Right? Through prayer, we often we want comfort and we want a solution. And when we don't receive either, we feel empty. Sometimes empty after prayer. But we cannot give up. Praying is speaking to the God who hears. Fundamental theological belief, we pray to the God who hears. Remember the story of the persistent widow in Luke 18, right? Keep asking, keep asking. And what we can also glean from the passage so far is that Asaph wants comfort from God, not just a solution, but he wants a personal comfort from the God of all comforts. And I cannot put to words what that comfort from God means. But it, no, it's that supernatural comfort from above that you know it's not from yourself. That comfort from God in, in your troubles. Right? We do not just want solutions from God. We want the God of comfort to come to us in our prayer. And if you desire that prayer, if you desire that comfort, you keep praying for it. Only God can provide that comfort. And so verse 3, the more Asaph thinks about God, the more he is troubled. Now, why would remembering God trouble Asaph? Well, likely it's because of how when he thinks that God is good. God is good in who he is and what he does. God is good. And Asaph compares it to his situation. There is a disconnect. God is good, but I don't feel good. So when Asaph remembers God, he's troubled that this God that is so good is so far from what I'm experiencing right now. I cannot taste that the Lord is good. It's just like human relationships. Sometimes it is the happy memories that hurt us the most. When we think of the wonderful past, when we think about the current situation, it hurts us when we contrast, when we compare. Why are not things like before? What has changed? And so this agonized Asaph even more. But nevertheless, we must persevere. The psalm could have ended in verse 3, right? It could have ended there, but what a pity that would have been. And so there must be perseverance. So this, this first three verses, what can we learn so far? Two things. First, pray in your day of trouble. Who or what do you seek first in your day of trouble? Think about it. Learn from Jesus. He knew that the trial was coming. He knew he was going to be arrested. What did he do? One hour before he was going to be arrested, what did he do? He prayed. Right? So when troubles seek to consume us, we must give ourselves to God in prayer. Troubles are coming, we give ourselves to God. Troubles want to consume us, we give ourselves to God. Now refuge. And second, to persevere in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Prayer is tiring. Even a 10-second prayer can feel so tiring sometimes. 
It ties up physically and spiritually. And so sometimes we try to rationalize. You know, prayer ties me out. But yet, we must persevere. Right? First of all, prayer is a command. Prayer is a command. Prayer is right worship that God deserves from us. Whether we, whether we like it or not. We don't decide to come to church whether we like it or not, right? We come to church because God deserves and He shall receive the worship from us. And if we disregard prayer, what do we have left? Right? So someone who is, someone who is active in prayer, although he looks like he has nothing at all, but he has, he has everything because he's talking to his Father in heaven, the God of the universe. Prayer must persevere when all else fails. Someone once said this, The great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. We all have those times where we know we must pray, but we just keep it in. We don't bring it out. And that is a tragedy for yourself, for yourself. It's a tragedy, tragedy when we don't react on our impulse to pray. And so we move on to in this psalm. Verse 4, you look at Asaph's sufferings. Right? It looks like he's suffering from insomnia. He who would have wanted to sleep, but he was restless. So there are times where we, are, we have worries and we are tired, but yet we cannot sleep. We can't even have that benefit of sleep. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. End of verse 4. So someone says that Asaph, he was choked with troubles that he cannot open his mouth here. Choked with troubles. It's as if Asaph is asking, God, you hold the key to deliver me from my troubles and my insomnia. Why won't you come? Why won't you come? In verse 5 to 6, Asaph moves on. We see him doing something more specific. He's going to remember the past. He's going to think about probably the Exodus. The Exodus was the great comfort of Israel. Children knew about it. Generations knew about it. That was the comfort of Israel. And perhaps he also thinks about happier days in his own life as well. Right? And this, going back to pastors, him the desire to sing. So he's trying something new. Praying and singing. And the songs we sing contain history of God's workings towards us. We sing, and can it be? Right? We're talking about history. The, the, the Son of God came to save us. That's history. History is important. Right? You know, Samuel erected the stone of Ebenezer in 1 Samuel 7. History was important to Israel. It's important to all of us. Right? History is important. It never changes. No one can take away history from you. God's history. History are facts. When everything seems to be changing around you, when you're swirling your troubles, history remains the same. No one can take it away from you. Right? History never changes. God never changes. The solid rock in our times of trouble. But again, as we look to God and His wonderful works, there is a battle. Because as we look at the past, biblical history, you look at God's love towards us, as we look to the past, there is a disconnect because right now we feel so troubled. What has changed? Why am I feeling so distant from God? Why does God feel so distant from me? There is a disconnect. What has changed? 
And sometimes when we are suffering, the Bible does not feel like the Bible. It just feels like paper with words on it. We struggle with it. What has changed? Are these promises of the Bible still for me? I, I, can't, I can't feel it. I can't feel it. What has changed? In Numbers 11, Israel was in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Remember, was it always happy times? No. They grumbled because of, remember, food. They grumbled because of food. Israel, Numbers 11 verse 5, Israel said, we, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt. Happy memories in Egypt. The food in Egypt was great. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Happy times in Egypt. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all except manna. Israel was dissatisfied on their journey to the promised land. The feeling of hunger made them miss Egypt. That's the power of feelings. The power of feelings. The feeling of hunger made them question God's goodness. And Israel's problem was that they always followed their feelings instead of following truth. And that's our problem as well. That is our problem as well. Feelings, feelings, feelings. So powerful. And Asaph was facing this threat of feelings in verses 7 to 9. The next point. Look at at verses 7 to 9. Here there was a temptation to question God for Asaph. To question God. The temptation again is something like this. I feel horrible and that means God must have abandoned me. Tempted to have feelings become fact. Tempted to have feelings dictate who God is. When we suffer, we want to make sense of everything. And that leads us to question God. Our feelings dictate everything, including God, and that's our weakness. So in our times of trouble, there is a temptation to throw away our confession, throw away all the Bible knowledge we have, throw away all the sermons that we have listened to, throw away everything, forgetting everything. And so the questions in verse 7 to 9, flashing across Asaph's mind. And it reminds us, all these questions reminds us of the garden where Satan says, have God said, have God said you shall not eat? Questions. And again, remember, your strength and suffering lies in your confession of who God is. You can know how someone is suffering, whether he's suffering rightly well, suffering well, or his in great despair by his answer to the question, who God is. Remember Job chapter 1. Suffered many things. Chaos. But he confessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. Confession in suffering. So the question in suffering for all of us, again, will you define God by your feelings or by facts? So let us look at verse 7. The seventh question that flashed across Asa's mind, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Facts versus feelings. Does feeling that God is away from me mean that God indeed has really left me? as a fact. Feelings versus fact. And Asa is fighting temptation here. But I believe he says that, no, no, it cannot be that God has abandoned me forever. 
And so the next question comes up, verse 8. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end gone for all time? And this is talking about God's covenant, his relationship with his people. Again, does the feeling that God does not love me mean that God's love is gone? That his promises are gone also? No, it cannot be. Verse 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Now in verse 9, there is this thought of sin, which is why Asaph brings up God's anger. Asaph must be wondering, has God lost patience with sin, with his own sin, with Israel's sin, that he has seized his grace, chosen to be forever angry? Has God no more grace? And this is a temptation that we all face. It's so tempting to say that God is holy, I am sinful, and God has run out with patience with me. He's gone forever. But that ignores the gospel of forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And to believe that the, go- the gospel has no more power for you is a lie that we must fight. And so again, I believe that Asaph, as this question flashed across his mind, he must have said no, no, no. He fought his temptation. It cannot be that God is God. It cannot be. And so likewise, we can fight these questions also. With what? With Scripture. You follow with me here. Verse 7 asks if God has cast off Asaph forever. Well, Lamentations 3, 31 to 32 says, The Lord will not cast off forever. But though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Verse 8 asks, Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Well, Psalm 136, if you know that Psalm, Psalm 136 answers, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 9, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? Oh, David says, David says in Psalm 51 verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. That repentant heart. Psalm 51, was God angry at David's sin? Yes. But was it forever? No. God receives repentance from sinners. Psalm 103 verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So what does this teach us? Read our Bibles. You need the best weapon for these days of trouble and you need the word of God, the truth. And Christ himself, wilderness temptation, he used scripture. We have no excuse not to. We have no excuse to think that I don't really need this. You need the best and only defense against temptations, which is scripture. And so when you have that feeling in your heart, God is no longer there, bring a verse, a verse in your Bible that no one can take away from you. Bring a verse to that feeling in your heart. And again, I'm not telling you to ignore your feelings, but feelings must have their right places. 
facts inform our feelings rather than our feelings inform facts of who God is. And so we must be soaked in the Bible so that biblical truth that never changes shapes us rather than reshaping biblical truth. Right? And as you look at all these verses, right, you're in your day of trouble, you have so many overwhelming feelings, you open your Bible, you turn to a psalm, you look at the words, you pray, you plead with God, God make your word, your promises come into my heart that is suffering, that is, that is hardened against your promises. Only you can bring it, Lord. This is God's unchangeable word. Come to our last point. Okay, verse 10 is the turning point, right? You can imagine, right? Verse 7 to 9 was his temptation. He, he went through his temptation. Then you can imagine Asaph sitting upright. He slams his hand down on the table and says, I will appeal to this, the years of the right hand of the Most High. Right? And notice this. The first nine verses was filled with first-person language. I, I, me, me. But... Verses 11 to 20, there is a transition. Second person language, you, 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 die, die, die. And this emphasis shows us that we need to turn away from ourselves to God. Verse 11 to 12, your wonders of all, your works, your deeds. And verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. Even if we do not exist, God is great. Even if God did not make the world, God is great. He's great in Himself, the eternal, blessed God. Just put yourself aside and just think about God. How great He is. Whether our day is good or bad, praise God, for He is great. And Asaph is doing one of the hardest things for any one of us to do, and that's praise God in our sufferings. It's not easy. It's the hardest thing to do. But you can and you must praise God in your sufferings, for He is worthy. Right? So you put yourself aside for a moment, you keep praising God in your sufferings, and you're comforted while you do that. Why? Because as you praise God, you realize how great He is, you then realize this great God is my God. The Lord is my portion. The fact that we see God's name, no, Lord, God, in the Bible, and we can say, my Lord. My God, in the Bible, in the Bible, it's a wonderful comfort. Two words, my Lord, can give you so much comfort. And again, Psalm 77 keeps recalling the Exodus, and you may have guessed this is what Asaph was remembering. Should wait to see, right? That is the mighty historical act that many generations remembered. Was God, it was where God revealed himself as the Savior, the, the strength of Israel, verse 15. Your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. And verse 16 has this beautiful language where, where the Red Sea was personified. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The deep trembled. It's a reminder that all troubles are under God's power. Whether it's a Red Sea or whether it's something that you're experiencing right now, it's all under God's power. God, the God who works in history for His people, for His glory. And so remembering this event for, remembering this event will, would have 
resolve the doubts of every Israelite. Does God care? Yes, He cared enough to deliver you. He cared enough to call you His people, His covenant people. And like what I mentioned just now, history is important. Verse 19, your way was through the sea. No, Israel going through the Red Sea. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints was, were unseen. Beautiful verse. What does this mean? Two things I want to say. First, right, remember in your mind, going through the Red Sea for Israel. Historical act. It shows us that God works in mysterious ways. God works in mysterious ways. Picture that you are part of Israel before the Red Sea. Egyptians behind, on their way. Red Sea in front of you. What, were you gonna, what are you going to pray for? Red Sea in front, Egyptians behind. And so, Asaph was flapping. Who would have thought that God's way was through the sea? Right? It would be more likely if God struck the Egyptians down with thunder, right? Or something. Destroy it. But God's way was through the sea. Who would have thought? And that was a glorious deliverance. Israel discovered that their deliverer, the covenant God, is the God over the heavens and the earth, over creation, power over the waters. The waters were troubled when they saw God's power. Unexpected deliverance. We don't know how or when, just like Israel here, but God does deliver His people. And our faith lies in the fact that God is good. He's sovereign. That's enough. How and when God delivers, we don't know. We do not know. Sometimes, sometimes God leads us on nice dry land. Sometimes He leads us through the sea. But God is with us. He's there. Yet, even though, it looks, even though His footprints are unseen, and on verse 19, a mysterious deliverance, but yet we know that God is there with us. Right? And the world does not know this special presence of God. Right? What did Egypt see? They saw lightnings, they saw the waters, all these natural things. Right? That's what the world sees. They do not see that special love that we have from God. Unseen. Though his footprints are unseen, he is there. In the darkest days, he is there. And my second point in, from verse 19 is faith. Right? So Exodus 14 says that Israel saw the Egyptians coming and they said to Moses, you brought us to die? And Moses says, fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, you will never see them again. So, will you fall down to your troubles or will you have faith in the invisible God? Now, it's so easy for us to sing God works in mysterious ways. We sing that, right? It's so easy to sing it, but it's so hard to believe that God works in mysterious ways. But we must. This is how He works. And lastly, in verse 20, Asaph uses the sheep-shepherd imagery. Now, sheep are often are animals that are confused and often afraid. They do not know how to react sometimes. They are very sensitive to loud noises. And it's an accurate 
imagery of God's people. We are so sensitive to things around us. Something happens and our eyes turn to that thing. Now, can you imagine sheep walking through the sea with thunders and lightnings? That is how Asaph describes um, Israel here. There were sheep that went through the waters, delivered through the waters. God preserved his sheep, his weak people. And God did it through Moses and Aaron. And that shows God's power. Moses and Aaron, we know their their flaws, but God used them. That shows God's power. He's able to use weak instruments to deliver his people. And this was the hope that Asaph clinged on to in his day of trouble. The history of this faithful God with his people. History that no one can take away from God's people. And so his doubts, his questions are all cleared up. There is a solid reason for hope. There's no reason to think that God has changed. There's no reason to think. Facts dictate our feelings. It's a battle every day to not be overwhelmed with our feelings. So we must keep ourselves in the Word so that we are not so easily swayed by things that happen. And that's why we need Sunday worship, right? There's so much noise in our lives, so much thoughts. So we come here, we just come here to listen, to sing God's truth. Listen and soak in who God is, what He has done. We come here to learn that we are loved. If the world, if everyone abandons us, there is still God who has loved us for Christ's sake. We just need someone to tell us sometimes, you are a child of God, beloved by God. We need to hear that. No, the, the, the truths that no one can take away from you. Truths that sometimes you take away from yourself. And as we think about this shepherd, sheep imagery, we think of course of Jesus Christ. We can think of history like what Asaph did. Right? Asaph was thinking about history. We also can think about history. 2,000 years ago, what happened? Christ, the good shepherd, laid his life for his sheep, for the sins of his people. He's led us through the bondage of sin, right? And then exodus our sin. And just like Asaph was marveling how Israel's deliverance was through the sea, we can also marvel that our deliverance from sin comes through the blood of the Son of God. Who would have thought so? A wonderful, wonderful gospel ministry. And this mystery is our foundation. The solid truth is our foundation by which we can see God's love for us. Right? God loved us and gave us His Son. Right? And knowing that fact, you know, Romans 8, Paul reflects that knowing that God loved us and gave us His Son, Paul realizes the implication. Who shall then separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword separate us? No. No. We talked a lot about questions today. The last question I want you to reflect upon is, would God who gave His precious Son to you for your sins, would this God who gave His Son to you, would He ever forsake you? Would He forget you? It's illogical. Would Jesus who loved us and died for us abandon us? No, it cannot be. Thus, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And that's what Paul answers. 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Solid truth. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We walk by faith and not by sight. So nothing more needs to be said here. Nothing that I can say of myself can persuade you of God's love. It's in His Word that no one can take away from you. No one can take away history. No one can take away the pledge of love of God towards you in Christ Jesus. And do not even let yourself deny God's love for you. Now our psalm ends here. And maybe you think that that's, that, that's it. It just ends suddenly, right? But I, I, I love the beauty of this sudden ending because it gives power to the psalm. Asaph has nothing to add on, add on anymore. He has found his comfort. The God who works through history for his people. That is his comfort. So again, our comfort is not in solutions to our problems, but in who God is and what he has done for us. History is our comfort. Right? And so I, we come together as families by ourselves to look through history to know indeed this is the God that works all things for those who love Him. And we also look at history in that the Son of God came in history 2,000 years ago to show forth His love in dying for us. History. Facts. Now, if I can make one last application is that let us help one another see the history of God's love to his people. Let's, let's see what we learn from Asaph's looking to history and help others to do the same. We do it for ourselves, right? But we also help those who are suffering to help them see God's history. Those who are suffering, if you know them, they are encountering verses 7 to 9 right now. They have all these questions also. So likewise, we must help them see facts of who God is. Not your own wisdom, but biblical facts so that our suffering friends do not get overwhelmed with their feelings. Right? We all know it's so hard to counsel people in troubles. But sometimes all we need to do is just read the Bible with them. Not your own words, just read the Bible with them. This is God's promises to His people sealed with the blood of Christ. Help them see the good shepherd. Right? Help them to see that you are a suffering sheep, but you have a good shepherd that you trust in, who has died for you, and he will lead you through the darkest valleys. And even if your deliverance lies in your death, death is only an entryway to eternal life in the presence of our Savior. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, not even death. And that is our comfort. That is our comfort. So, brethren, there is power in going back to the past. The past informs the present and the future. The past is something that no one can take away from you. The, the past where God has, you, all of us have our unique stories of how we came to faith. No one can take away that from you. Right? It's all unique to us. But as a church, of course, we have the common historical faith of what God has done for His people. And so in our suffering, let us indeed pray that God helps us to hold on to Him. Rock solid truth. Help us to hold on to Him, the rock of ages. Help us to see His truth. Right. 
And may God bless His word to your hearts. Let's pray. <coughs> hey, Father, we thank you for this wonderful psalm. It shows us that you know that we are weak, and that's why you've given us this psalm. Shows us that you know that we often forget you, but yet we know that you love us. You love your forgetful, needy, weak people. And pray that you might help us in so many things that we lack, our lack of faith at times. Help us to show the beauty of Christ into our own hearts, to know that indeed no one can take away the shepherd's love for us. If there's anyone suffering right now in circumstances, we pray that this psalm blesses their hearts and that they may indeed know that you are with them in their suffering and may they be exalted to see your truth as they fight the overwhelming sufferings and feelings that they might have. We thank you for this uh, Lord's Day that we can gather here. We pray for Pastor Aaron. We pray you keep his family safe. We rejoice with um, a wonderful family event. Pray for his journey safe back. And also we pray for this church, uh, we pray for new and old visitors, we pray that this church grows, uh, continues to grow uh, throughout this year, and we pray for all the activities that this church has. Pray for the young families also, as um, we all seek to grow our children in the fear of the Lord. We pray that uh, you might bless all the needs that we have. Uh, we pray for young people also, for those who have graduated, for those contemplating their future. We pray you might give them wisdom to seek vocations where they can honor you in, in their witness to the world. Mm. We also pray for uh, this world also. We pray that you might help us to be good witnesses to this world. Uh, we pray that you might bless every church in Grand Rapids in Michigan in the United States that the pulpit is filled with God-fearing preachers that bring forth your word and every church may be a light in this dark world. We again give you thanks for uh, being able to hear from this word that uh, you have given us. Uh, help us to be honest with how often we drift away from you. Help us to be honest with our weaknesses and indeed help us to see that in our weaknesses you are our strength, our rock. And we pray that we might also continue to minister the word to one another to help us to be that listening ear that we all need to one another to exhort one another in as we sing every sunday and also as we hear your word so we give thanks for all these things and we pray that you might continue to bless the church and everyone listening today in christ's name we pray amen, amen.